0: Blood and gore and human sandwiches, liver, fava beans, and a nice Chianti, Brazilian savage tribes and castration, murderers and sadists, and crazed backwood inbred monsters. Today we dig into the annals of film history to uncover one of our favorite lowbrow topics, cannibalism. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company.
1: I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. In each episode, each one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from bottling fluids to TNA to exploding heads. If there's a film subject that's too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome! Hey, Slate. How are you? I'm good. Good. Yourself? I'm good.
0: Thanks. All
1: right. Well, welcome to our first episode. Welcome. Yes, this is our pioneering first episode into the Realms of trash cinema with slums of
0: film history. So, yeah. Well, let me start off by telling all of our millions and millions of fans. Legions of fans (laughs) that are out there. So we're not experts. We're just two guys, two friends. We've been friends for 20 years that have been listening to a lot of podcasts and listening to a lot of film podcasts and didn't really... The podcast that we wanted to listen to didn't exist. So that's why we decided to do our own. And when I was kind of researching and, you know... uh, I'm really interested in film history, but, you know, like, I could care less about The Godfather. Everything that needs to be said about The Godfather has been said by smarter people than us. Agreed. Yeah, it's been done to death. Great film and everything, but you don't need to hear another thing about Fucking Godfather especially from us for me yeah to right. non experts on the exactly. Godfather so and and the stuff that i really gravitate more towards in film is um i love i like boobs i like seeing boobs in movies
1: yes. boobs I, are always great in
0: i like gore, gore i is good. i love um i i love just all of like the the trash you know and the garbage and you know So that's what we decided to kind of focus on.
1: Yeah. And that's where our bona fides really does come from is that we've seen a lot of trash cinema. There's a lot of interesting aspects to that. That is the reason why we're here now um, that we wanted to share with the uh, unsuspecting public so that's how this got to be
0: our breakdown is that we pick a topic today is cannibalism we research the fuck out of it yep we make sure that we know what we're talking about because i didn't i knew not none of this before i sat down for two weeks and and really dug down deep and then we school the other one yeah so let's get going let's go I'm going to start by telling you what I know about cannibals. Okay. Okay. Not film cannibals, but just cannibals in general. In general. I got you. There's four different types. Okay. The first type is a survival cannibal. So that's basically somebody who eats someone who's dead because they're going to die if they don't. Sure. So it's not a murderer. It's just somebody, you know, like in the Donner Party or in the Uruguayan flight that crashed in the Andes in the 70s. They basically just eat someone because they're going to die if they Mm, don't. They're hungry. Yeah. Okay. Then there's two types of tribal cannibals, endo and exo Okay. endo. Is somebody that eats, like if somebody dies, like a family member, they will eat them to kind of inherit or absorb their spiritual energy. Cannibal hippies, yeah. Yeah, it's to- totally, yeah. Okay, makes, makes sense. sense. And then the exos are, are tribal cannibals that will eat somebody from like a neighboring tribe, and it's like a total power play. Political cannibal. They're, they're like fuck you, yeah, right. yeah, fuck you. I'm gonna eat you, and that's funny. Yeah. Well, it's not funny. It's, it's funny. Kinda, to, it's funny, 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 funny to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then and then there's like the nutbags, the psychosexual cannibals. Okay. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that are like Ed gang which we'll talk about today. Sure. Those are ones that are that are basically doing it um, because they think that they they have some type of power over other people, and then they they get off on it. Like they whack off, and they're. Definitely the most hot. popular of
1: cannibals, Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Okay, so those are the four types. Gotcha. And we're going to talk about all of those because all of those are portrayed in films. Gotcha. So if you ask the internet, the first cannibal movie ever made was the short The Enchanted Kiss in 1917. Looked for it for days and couldn't find it. Most right. of the movies from this time are, are lost. But one of them that uh, is still around is the first adaptation of the book Sweeney Todd. And obviously you know the story of Sweeney Todd thanks to Johnny Depp. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, in... Yeah. Right. He's a barber, he's a psychotic barber and he kills people and puts them in meat pies. Right. So that was kind of the first one and it was a it was a pretty pretty gruesome adaptation for for that early on. There were also a couple other titles. In 1932, there was a movie called Dr. X. In 1933, The Circus Queen Murder. And then everything came to a a halt when the production code was put into effect. So I know a lot about the production code. I'm super obsessed with it because I think it's really, really interesting. And it gave birth to kind of the golden age of film. But the truth is, is that Hollywood was super, super tame back then. You know, I mean, there was no cannibalism back then. There was no gore. There was very little murder. And even if there was, it, it it had to be a strict regimen of like punishment in certain ways if anybody got murdered and that's not to say that there wasn't cannibalism in movies back then i actually just watched liz taylor in tennessee williams suddenly last summer which is kind of a movie where liz taylor is like in an insane asylum and you wait the whole movie to kind of find out why she's crazy and basically she's crazy because she watched her brother get eaten by cannibals they don't show that you know sure. on a film it's kind of like they show the cannibals like going to get him and then it cuts oh, away no. and she's like oh my god she's right. screaming for, you know, like 10 minutes. Uh decent movie. Huh. And even in Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, yeah. um, there's a scene of which Kirk Douglas gets chased by savages, right. you know, or whatever. And then he, he gets in the he gets in the submarine and then they're like, "Oh, there's or cannibals, you know, and, you know, whatever." Yeah. So obviously you don't see any gore. Once the production code kind of started to fall apart and, you know, movies that, that didn't have its seal of approval could be screened in theaters, Herschel Gordon-Lewis dropped the first gore film in 1960. Yeah, Blood Feast. Blood Feast, yeah. oh, that's the best movie ever. It's oh. not really, it's terrible. But I mean, it was a, it was a huge shock when it came out. Yeah, um, it was the first time anybody had ever seen anything like that. There was no such thing as a gore film or a slasher film back then. No. You know, there were horror movies, but they weren't gratuitous you know they were spooky right. and scary you know mm-hmm. not like not like blood and guts and and stuff like that yeah so herschel gordon lewis made nudist films before okay. he got into the gore genre right. and um, some of the titles of his films were the adventures of lucky pierre mm-hmm. daughter of the sun mm-hmm. and my personal favorite <laughs> boyoing
1: and it's got like
0: four ends in it. It does. It's B O I - N - N G. So it's actually boioyoyoy. We need to see boy at yeah. some point. Yeah. At around 1960 the nudist films had kind of uh, were kind of over, you know. Anybody that had gone to see a nudist film had already seen one or two and realized that they weren't that great. Right. Um, and Herschel Gordon Lewis was looking for a new shtick. People were not going to the movies as much because of TV. And he had to find something that was going to get butts in seats. Blood Feast was shot in Miami. It was super, super low budget. The acting is terrible. Sure. You know, every everything about it reeks of, of low budget feature. <clears throat> yeah. So the plot of Blood Feast is that there's this guy. He's a caterer and his mm-hmm. name is Spuwad. He's got these crazy drawn on penciled eyebrows. And he is trying to resurrect the Egyptian... I had to write this down. The Egyptian goddess Ishtar. And the way he's doing that is he kills women and collects their body parts. And then it's, it's a little hard to determine what he's doing with this. But it seems right. like he's making them into some type of like blood organ stew. And that, I for guess, when, Ishtar? for Ishtar, I mean, the, the plot gets really derailed right. by the end of it. Sounds like he's it. catering a party. And so he's collecting all of these things for this big feast for his blood feast. Of right. Course. that makes, <clears throat> makes, hence the title blood feast. Um, So this is the gore that was in it. Okay. Uh, I watched it and I wrote everything down that, oh, that was okay. in it. Yeah. So he tears the tongue out of two different women. That's kind of the classic scene. You know, okay. the, the one when they show it's actually a sheep's tongue, Um, And that's in movies like Serial Mom, you know, they always show this scene and it's very boom, boom, you know, and he kind of pulls this thing out. He cuts the top of a head off to collect a brain mm. and he whips a woman and collects her blood. Oh, Although yeah. this is funny because, you know, blood Feast is, is really one of the first slasher horror films and yeah. it does have a lot of things that would be used, you know, for, for years after that. So the, you know, the, the most obvious is like when you see a woman getting into the bathtub in a horror movie, she's going to die. And this was the first movie to ever do that. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Um, Fun fact. yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does have the 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 um you know the eventual killing of the murderer at the end too he's actually running you know what happens to him um no. He runs down the street. He's being chased the cops who are, are dumb as fuck eventually figure out that this that, that this guy is the killer. They're right. chasing him down the street. He gets away. He gets in a garbage truck and he's kind of like driving off. You think he's going to get away and then the compactor comes down and swashes oh, him.
1: classic. Yeah. Classic garbage truck mm-hmm. compactor. It's been used many times since then. Yeah. So did Ishtar ever show up? No,
0: no. I <sighs> oh, I mean that's he, bullshit, he it's man. funny. I mean it, like he makes this thing he gets all of the all of the elements together the brains and the tongues and the legs and all that stuff and then he's just about to I guess serve it at the at the party Mm -hmm. and then the police find him so nobody actually eats anybody in Blood Feast that's kind of bullshit but first gore film yeah it's pretty impressive yeah alright so let's move on so yeah. it would take a few years for cannibalism to catch on and produce what is uh, known as the cannibal genre which we're going to talk about obsessively a okay. little bit later but I'm going to skip ahead a few years and I want to go to 1974 when the first technical slasher was done Blood Feast was kind of a gore film uh, but this movie is what most critics consider to be the the first slasher film you know what it is? oh of course uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah amazing Texas Chainsaw Massacre was uh, loosely based on, a, on the true story of Ed Gain. Right. Uh, and Ed Gain was arrested in 1957 in Plainfield, Wisconsin, when two police officers were looking for a missing woman. They had kind of gotten a tip that maybe he knew something about it, and they went into his barn where they found her. Right. She was hanging upside down. She was split open, and he was arrested. But what the the real story is what they found in the house. And that's kind of the, the basis of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So Ed Gein was obsessed with his dead mother. He was digging up bodies in Graveyard, which is a major plot point in uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then he was doing things with them. So he was mostly dismembering them and then doing stuff with their body parts, making things. You know, he was eating them. I think he was eating. He only really killed two, two women. And he was definitely eating parts of them as well. But he was really more of a craftsman. He was making things. Edgain would go on to inspire a, a lot of different, a lot of different films, um, from Alfred Hitchcock to Jonathan Demme, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So let's talk about the plot a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. I've seen it a million times. Actually, the first DVD that I ever owned, I bought a DVD player and at the store bought Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So it's a group of five friends. They are going to investigate whether one of their family members was one of the graves that was desecrated. Is that a word desecrated that works it was desecrated they get to the family's house they do a little bit of exploring and then one of them wanders off goes into a house and somebody grabs him and pulls him oh you mean the, the the door that opens up yeah
1: that's actually i even now when i saw that again it's a pretty well it's harsh For a number of reasons, obviously, he gets hit by a hammer, but it's also just such a sudden, uh, there's no buildup, there's no suspense, there's no music, there's nothing except a boring hallway scene until the door comes up, the guy gets hit in the head, he starts convulsing on the ground, gets hit again, and yanked, and it's all like, what? What And it's over, And it's over, it's a very quick, violent, visceral, if you're going to use that term for it, scene. I always remember that scene.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it, I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, I was just like, holy shit, what just happened? Right. And and then it just kind of takes on the slasher, you know, the slasher trope, which is right. everybody gets picked off one by one. Sure. It's, it's gruesome though. I mean, when he hangs, uh, when oh, he hangs the woman on the meat hook, you know, and then she just sits there and is like dying slowly. It's.
1: But it's less gory than you remember. Less actually gory oh, than I yeah. remember. I mean, you, you, yeah, she gets hung on the meat hook, you hear it and all that stuff, but it's not, you don't it showed less than i remember just like the guy that gets cut up with with the actual chainsaw you don't really see that
0: no it's not gory at all really i mean there's there's it's it's gross gross. it's just like it's definitely uncomfortable and
1: gross and bad a lot more dread to it than actual gore i think is the feeling you get
0: yeah i mean and and also there's so many scenes of just like bones and things hanging from the ceiling yeah and it's just like a lot of remains and things that they've done with the remains. That's kind of the, the focus of it. It's one of those movies uh, that you remember it being a lot more gorier than it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the primary cannibalism scene, which is the which what I call the table scene. Right. So only one person ends up getting out at the end, uh, and that's Sally. And and by this time, basically in the ha- in in the first half of the movie, everyone's dead. And then the second half is focusing on Sally, who is trying to get away. And she'll get away, and then they'll get her again. And then she'll get away, and then they get right. her again. Right. whatever. have. Yeah. Which is great because that's the kind of it's the the grueling nature of the film is really what makes it so hard to watch and and so terrifying is that it's not just oh my god you're gonna die it's the torture it's the grueling right. torture and that goes that they're along gleefully
1: torturing her too it's you
0: know after Sally gets abducted in in the gas station where she thinks she's going for help but actually ends up just asking one of the family members for help he takes her back to the house. And, and then they take the bag off of her. She's sitting at a table. And that's when she starts to realize that she's not being chased by one person. This is a family of serial killers. Right. Uh, which I think was the thing that that Toby Hooper really loved about the Ed Gaines story. was about this family. You know, like, who was this mother? Who were the other people that lived in the house before they all died? And it's questionable whether, Gain, whether Ed Gain killed his brother or not, but... So she gets in. There's members of the family. They bring Grandpa down, and Grandpa looks dead. He's def looks like a shriveled up corpse. Basically, he doesn't move at all. But then they sit it. They sit him down, and then and they're like, "Oh, wake him up or whatever." They cut her finger, and then they stick it in Grandpa's mouth. Oh yeah. Uh And Grandpa starts. I've got the audio of him. He goes. Like sucking her finger and it That's like it revives him. And of course she is going crazy, you know, like screaming, going crazy. And it's, it's a long scene, you know? I mean, they're, they're not just like, oh, there's, she's, he sucked the blood out of her finger. Like it's going on and on and on the table scene. I timed it and it goes on for a little less than nine minutes but if you ask anybody that watches the movie if you ask them how long the table scene, I bet they would say it's 30 minutes long because right. it's just a constant shot of eyeballs screaming they're laughing you know they're in the scene that uh, they're they they want grandpa to kill her they put her head over a bucket and they keep handing grandpa and he this keeps dropping and he keeps dropping, it. And he, keeps dropping yeah. and he can't kill her it's going on and on and you're just watching this thing like oh my god please just fucking kill her like hurry up and just kill her and and that's the scariest part about it right anyway to so spoiler alert she does get out she eventually jumps out a window and she she ends up you know getting out at the end but right. that's like she's kind of
1: lost her damn mind by then
0: oh yeah she's she's not going anywhere right she's yeah. she's fucked for life now right yeah. yeah um so that so the main cannibalism scene in this they they refer to it more than they actually show it. it's the meat hook it's they're putting people in the freezer right um you know there are quotes you know he was like shut up you're just the cook you know and stuff like that so sure. you, you're getting that these people are definitely cannibals but you never actually see anybody grab a big wad of you know human meat and no. devour And, it and then visual cues like I guess the butcher's apron and he wearing that and yeah. Stuff. yeah. So anyway. When I was doing all of this research I kind of dug into it because it's funny I'm, I'm not sure if Texas Chains and Massacre knew that it was doing this at the time but it was actually a pretty bold statement of what was going on at the time. Right. Um, obviously it does kind of have the you know the feeling of a snuff film which was very popular at that time as sure we'll talk was. about in our next episode. But what a lot of film critics would say I think after the fact is the reason why it's so well liked in the you know in a genre of film which is generally unliked by film critics is because at this time which was 1972 what the critics would say is that the the american dream was kind of over at that point you know it was um, you know kind of the, the the end of the vietnam war it was the whole idea that the 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 house and the family and the 2.5 kids you know was was a sham and that that the american dream was this unobtainable thing and this little town in texas where you know these where this family had once worked in in the meat industry you know and, and had been this you know this great business now had to resort to cannibalism in order just to to make ends meet you right. know that this whole town had kind of shut down the meat industry was was down the drain and and this family was doing everything that they could to survive to the modern world you know right. so it, it was it's an interesting play i mean, i don't I don't think people realize that at the time but when you look back on it it mirrored society in a really interesting way which i think was one of the reasons why it was so popular sure so i did find out an interesting fact ed gaines house was burned down in 1958 mm-hmm. but the house in the texas chainsaw massacre where uh where they were eating people has been converted into a restaurant Oh, nice. Ironic. Irony. Irony. So a few years later, um, another classic cannibal movie would be released in 1977. And that movie is Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. Nice. Have you seen it? A long time ago. Yeah. I watched it too. It's okay. It's not the best movie I've ever seen. But this one was a little bit different from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, although it had a lot of the same elements in it, too. In fact, what I did find out was that when Wes Craven went to go make this movie, he used the same art director as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, cool. His name was Robert A. Burns. And a lot of it, if you kind of look carefully, a lot of those props, the the bones and the fingers and all that stuff, um, he used the extras from Texas Chainsaw Massacre in The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, wow. So it was an interesting connection there. Uh, So The Hills Have Eyes is a little bit different from a traditional slasher film because it's more of like a tete-a-tete, a um, family versus family. So the story centers around the Carter family who are traveling on a road trip from Ohio to California. And they're in the desert, Um, you know, the car breaks down. Obviously they they have to get help, you know, to get out of there. And that's where they're confronted by, by this other family who has resorted to cannibalism in order to survive the normal suburban Ohio family versus the backwoods, you know, monsters in the desert that are, that are eating people. One of the interesting things about, uh, about this was that it got an X rating when it was originally uh, submitted to the MPAA. And so Wes Craven cut the scene, basically, that got it an X rating so he could get an R rating. And that scene was really the only cannibal scene in the movie. In it, the father character of the cannibal family, his name is Jupiter. He's sitting there and he's talking to the father of the Carter family, who's dead, who's been burned on a stake. And the line that he says is, you come out here and stick your life in my face, stick your fingers in my pie. That was a bad mistake. So he's shaking the finger of the man that he's pointing at while he's eating him.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Yeah. I've never seen the scene before. It's only the version that I saw that it was cut. And it's obvious that it's cut because the scene makes no sense when you're not seeing it. He's eating something and he's shaking something at a dead person that he just killed. Huh. But so that scene is missing. I think it's been found, but it's not the one that I saw. So Hills Have Eyes, it, it, not my favorite film in the world. And it's actually, it was a moderate success in 1977, but it's been much more successful in its remakes. You know, so the first one being in 2006 and they've, there've been a, a, a dumpster load of them that have come out. Right. So The Hills Have Eyes was actually based on what Wes Craven considered to be a true story, which was the tale of Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean was a real or maybe not real man in the 15th or 16th century who allegedly killed over a thousand people and ate them in his family cannibal colony in Scotland. Wow. So needless to say, historians don't agree on whether he was real or not. It was the 15th or 16th century, so it's kind of a long time ago. Right. But I did want to throw that in there, just because when you're talking about real cannibals, Sonny Bean is always in in the study of real cannibals. Yeah. So this was kind of his take that it was like a family of cannibals cannibals gotcha. you know okay let's talk about cannibal holocaust. I'm excited about holocaust all right so first off you gave me cannibal holocaust for christmas five or six years ago right
1: yeah and on that note i realized how many fucked up movies i give you for christmas it's a he, proud tradition i'm glad to continue
0: yeah that's gonna be a reoccurring theme in this podcast i, I think so well the, what's funny was that i had never seen it before You knew of it, though. I I think a lot of people know of it, and I think a lot of people haven't actually seen it. Well, fear not, listeners. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about it, including the documentary footage scenes, which I sat down and wrote down as I watched it, exactly what was in it, because it's disgusting. Yeah, it is. All right. So Cannibal Holocaust was not actually the first film in the cannibal genre. The first film was actually in 1971, and it's called Man from Deep River aka deep river savages aka sacrifice exclamation point uh you know in that time especially with foreign films you know they would come to america and they would dub them retitle them obviously they had italian names you know and they they kind of served them up differently for different theaters based you know and they, it was always a race to find out kind of like what the what the best title could be Um, So that's why all of these movies have so many different titles. Man from Deep River didn't really catch on until a little bit later. In fact, I couldn't find any screenings of it before 1977. So that was six years after it was made. Right. So let's talk about the cannibal genre of film. It's usually relatively simple. In the case of Man from Deep River, a photographer goes to Brazil to take pictures, and he's kidnapped by an indigenous tribe. Mm -hmm. He's tortured for a while until he proves himself and he joins that tribe. They ultimately become his family he takes a wife from the tribe who's asian which is kind of weird considering they're in brazil and everyone else in this tribe is brazilian and then another tribe of cannibals you know usually shows up so they so they usually have a friendly tribe that's kind of like you know everybody likes the friendly tribe but then another tribe is a cannibal tribe Hmm. and then they show up and start killing people and eating them so that's kind of what most of the cannibal genre movies are. It's always going to an indigenous land, you know, the white person goes over there, and then this, you know, there's good savages, there's bad savages, right. and obviously people get
1: eaten. Real quick, the version is A Man from Horse sort of a remake of that?
0: Yes, it, it. Well, no, this was kind of knocked off of that movie. Gotcha, okay. So, yes, they do share similar plots. This was an Italian director knocking that movie off. Gotcha, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, so the interesting thing about cannibal movies are it's never just cannibalism. That's usually kind of like one or two scenes Everything else that comes along with these Italian films is, is what tends to make it a little bit more shocking. So that can be everything and does include castration. There's always animal cruelty in everything just because the laws are different, you know, so they can get away with animal cruelty in a way that American films can't. Right, and a lot of rapiness. Oh, right, lots of rapiness. There's even, there. not too much bestiality, although I was watching this movie called Mountain of the Cannibal God, which is actually really good. It has Stacey Key. And there's this kind of like blood orgy scene, like the drums going and everything. And then they cut over to a man who's fucking this giant, like wild boar, like (laughs) fucking it in the ass. And, and everyone, and everyone's just kind of like acting like it's normal. And the pig doesn't care. Like, it's just kind of like, whatever. All right. Um, I, I'm going to assume this is simulated. The pig had no idea what was happening. So I'm guessing he probably didn't have like a human's dick in his ass. I hope not. Yeah, no. So cannibal movies like weren't even really that big of a thing, especially no. in America. They were all, you know, Italian films. And and you have to remember that by 1978, which is kind of when these movies started to, you know, be shipped over here, horror films were already a big business. So, yeah. you know, the, all the all the kind of exploitation movies had, were already, being you know commoditized right so in 1978 these are the films that came out The Deer Hunter okay Jaws Halloween Dawn of the Dead and I Spit on Your Grave obviously the the cannibal films weren't really that big of a deal like why would you go to go get pickpocketed at the Deuce Theater in Times Square when you could watch Michael Myers in an air conditioned cinema in the in the suburbs right huh enter cannibal Holocaust oh, shit. Yeah. so it's hard it was hard to shock audiences back then I mean they were already seeing slasher movies you know there I spit on your grave you know is still one of the most controversial movies ever made right so it was hard to do something different at that time especially with the cannibal genre which kind of wasn't even really a thing right
1: mm-hmm. so
0: so let's talk about why cannibal Holocaust was so different because it really did have the same elements of most of the films in the cannibal genre
1: well one and reali- not realizing this when I first watched it was that it was a very it was, I think, documented the first found, fo- quote-unquote, found footage film. It was the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, that hadn't really been done before. And that added an element of realism. On top of that, the real animal holocaust, because that's, you might as well call it that, because that's, I mean, like, what was it, five or six animals were killed on screen, including the awful turtle scene, <sighs> and which added more realism to it, because now you've got, well, you've got real animal death mixed in with the fake human death, but then you've also got non-actor indigenous peoples that were in these films too. So they, as far as I know, and you probably will clarify this, uh, you know, they went to the jungle and they found folks who probably hadn't really seen much of the cameras, much less filmmaking, and said, hey, will you reenact, I don't know, raping our white actress uh, from, you know, Italy? and faking like you're gonna kill her and they're like sure and that's some
0: pretty crazy shit. it, looked re- I mean, it, it looks, looks real i mean it looks real and um, no one had seen a found footage movie so this was right. i mean this was 1980 and Blair Witch Project came out in 99. So that was 19 years later. Nobody right. had ever seen a found footage. It was a completely new thing. So the, the the rough plot of Cannibal Holocaust is that a anthropologist goes to Brazil to retrieve a film crew, which has gone missing while making a documentary on an indigenous cannibal tribe. When he gets there, they're dead, of course, and he collects their footage, takes it back to New York. And then the second half of the film is just them screening the lost documentary footage. And that's what got the movie into so much trouble. Right. At the beginning of the movie they do have a super... In English that says, for the sake of authenticity, some sequences have been retained in their entirety. So they present it as kind of a like, this is a true story, you know, and then in this kind of documentary footage, which of course is can held, shaky, whatever. And then they use the, you know, the thing at the end where the camera falls and then it just keeps rolling as the, as the cameraman gets murdered in front of you, you whatever. I mean, people, he designed it so that people would think that it was real and it worked.
1: And it also came after, and of course this is going to be part of another podcast, but it also came after things like Faces of Death and the whole snuff genre. Real snuff films were a thing. Snuff films were a thing. thing. Yeah, people thought they were real. This fed off of that. And not only that, but they also did the trick where um, they asked the actors and actresses to lay low while this film was being presented and not to show up in any other films
0: for at least a year. That. And I know you're going to talk about that. Yeah. I don't mean to steal your thunder. So I'm going to tell you what was in the footage, just in case you forgot. Because, uh, yeah. I watched it and wrote it all down. I'm, I have all no right. doubt. So the four filmmakers, there were three men and one woman. Yeah. They go to set out to find the tribe and in the movie they're sitting there you know it's like they're they're back in New York they're safe and they're you know watching this this footage which makes it a little bit more upsetting yeah so the first thing that they do is that they get, they get a turtle a big giant this turtle's probably a hundred years old right they pull it out of the water and then they cut its head off and they cut out its insides. It's awful. Completely real. I mean, there is no question that this is real. No, they admit it, it's real. it's real. And it's terrible. They do cook it and eat it, which is what the director, Ruggiero Diagato, Ruggiero Diagato, okay. He said that yes, they did it. And I mean, to to his credit, it adds to the authenticity because you know that they are killing these animals. It makes you think that everything in it is real, you know? They smash a tarantula, also real. A crew member is bitten on the leg by the snake. By a snake. They kill. That. The snake is killed, yeah. right? And then, uh, which is real, and then they amputate his leg with a machete. He does not make it through this I'm, scene. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, he dies, and then they heat and cauterize the stub. He's dead. You know. Right. They eventually find the tribe and they capture them draining a monkey's blood, real. They use guns to intimidate the tribe into being in their film, which they are staging certain scenes for dramatic effect. They shoot a baby pig, real. They burn down the tribe's village just to plus up the dramatic moments, Two of the crew members then have sex among the ruins while they force the tribe to watch. They film a dying old woman followed by the live birth of a baby that the tribe buries in the mud as soon as it's birthed. Did you remember that one? I remember that part. Yeah. That's not real. They beat the, they beat the, the the mother of the baby. They beat her over the head with rocks until she dies. One of the crew members holds a young tribal girl down as the other rapes her. They take turns they come upon a woman who, and this is kind of the most famous scene of the movie, is impaled at a, on a stake. Then they get ambushed by a different tribe. And the remaining four members are stabbed, castrated, raped, hacked to pieces, and eaten as the camera films on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what's in the documentary footage and why it was so controversial. They, they really pulled out all the stops on this right I can't watch a chunk of the scenes. And that's... That's saying something, That's if I can't something. watch it. Yeah. So obviously, this format of found footage would resurface. The Blair Witch Project, I think, is probably the most famous. Paranormal Activity, The Last Exorcism, Devil's Pass, VHS, you know, all of that. But the most interesting thing to me about Cannibal Holocaust is that the director was actually arrested and had to prove that this movie wasn't real. Right. So this is how it happened. He premiered the film. It was a it was a big success in Milan at the time. It was it was shocking, but it's also truth be told, it's a good film. I mean, it's a good movie. It's very satisfying. It's a well-done movie. Yeah. It's and a I mean, it's one of those terrible movies that you're like, this is good. This is a good film. Right. And it was very successful. It made a lot of money in its opening. But ten days after it screened, Diagato got arrested. They originally arrested him for obscenity, but a day later they modified the charges to include murder. What they were saying was that he made a snuff movie. He took these actors out here. He got these indigenous tribes to kill. That he he staged a real death, and right. all of these people, including Impalement Girl all of the those people were actually dead. So Diagato had to, in order to prove it, he had to find all these people. And as you mentioned before, he had paid them contractually to stay out of the public eye for a year after the film was released so that it would add to the controversy that it was real. So all of a sudden, he's got to dig up these people that he paid to, to go underground. He did end up getting in touch with one of the cast members and then they all appeared on a show, on, a, on an Italian TV show together. He also was able to produce films of Impalement Girl after the scene right. was shot did you, do you know how it was shot oh yeah she was sitting on a
1: bicycle seat yeah she had a balsa wood if anybody's seen the picture it looks like it's going through her mouth and I guess out of her ass out of her body or wherever yeah. yeah but what they did was they had a pole with a bicycle seat she sat on it she didn't have any clothes on. And then she lifted her head up with a balsa wood, like, taken out of her mouth to right. give the illusion that she was impaled. It's yeah. pretty... It's effect, It's an effective effect. Uh, it looks stressful. real. I mean, it does look Fairly real. It's real.
0: not It's not a shitty special effect, like b- back in the days it's, of gore. It was gore. actually it was like cleverly like, done. I mean, it's oh, gross yeah. as hell, but oh, it's yeah. a clever... She's really still on that thing. It doesn't... You're not right. like, oh, that's fake, you know? It, it looks really real. Yeah. They did a good job. And it's awful so anyway, so obviously he was cleared of all charges. Right. um, But it it wasn't like it was smooth sailing after that. He struggled for years and fought in courts to get his film released. The the main problem, obviously besides the obscenity was the animal violence. Yeah. Um, And he did later say in an interview, I was stupid to introduce animals. It got him in a lot of trouble, whereas right. he probably could have gotten that movie out if it weren't for all of the the animal torture scenes. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Cannibal Holocaust is that b- besides, you know all of the you know white person and who are the real cannibals and you know white person goes they should have just left him alone and they got what they deserved and you know all that stuff was they touched on it really briefly but this kind of idea of staged reality so you know they they're going in here they're they're they like this they're creating the documentary and you know this was not a documentary film and documentaries had been you know made for years but staged reality is really what what we watch as content now if you've ever watched an episode of the kardashians or the real housewives you know yes they are themselves but they're given scenarios and they're and and they're kind of like alright this is what's gonna happen this week because these people's lives are not interesting no you know? they're the real cannibals <laughs> who are the real cannibals the, <laughs> the Kardashians, Kardashians are the real cannibals yeah <laughs> I thought it was interesting because especially when you watch older movies like this or even documentaries, you know, something like Truth or Dare, which, you know, part of the controversy is like, these things shouldn't be shown. This is the, you know, this is you and your personal life. And that is just very normal to watch right now is to turn on the TV and watch somebody's personal life of where they're literally doing nothing. And we're like, oh, my God, a Kardashian like is made made a bowl of cereal, you know. And I just want to note, um, for the record, that I'm giving you
1: kudo points for somehow tying Madonna into all of this. So, Thanks. Well done.
0: I, you know that Madonna will be in every episode. I am at, I uh, yeah. And
1: this is the, I'll the figure out a way to get her in it. yours,
0: too. I appreciate that.
1: That's some meta shit right there. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Well, something that I didn't know was that Eli Roth was a huge fan of Cannibal Holocaust. Clearly. The Green Inferno comes out in mm-hmm. less than two weeks. But the director, Diagato, was actually in Hostel too. He was one of the men that was slicing the flesh. I watched a long time ago, but I did pull this off the internet. He was slicing the flesh off of an unwilling man and eating him. Huh. Interesting. So Eli Roth was like, I want you to be in my movie, and I want you to be a cannibal. Nice. Kind of cool. One other interesting thing, which we're going to talk about in a further episode when we do porn actors in real films, is that the anthropologist that goes to collect this footage was actually a porn actor, and he was the guy that at the end of Debbie Does Dallas does Debbie. Oh, nice. Interesting, huh? Huh. Yeah. So obviously there were a lot of Me Too films that came out after that. In sure. fact, seven fil- seven cannibal genre films were released within the next year. And those names of those were White Cannibal Queen, Make Them Die Slowly, okay. and Cannibal Fareau, which mm-hmm. I did watch, is on Netflix. It's not one of the better ones, to be honest. Right. And, you know, by then it was basically over. You kind of can't out Cannibal, Cannibal Holocaust. And those movies, there were a few more that came out, but that pretty much wiped out the genre. Alright, so the decade following Cannibal Holocaust uh produced a few non-tribal, notable cannibal films. And one it was actually one that I had on VHS back in the day was 1981's Eating Raul. Oh, love it. Love yeah. it. it great. <clears throat> and it's basically a broke couple is is living in a in an apartment building where a lot of swingers live. Somebody is kind of trying to get into their apartment and they end up killing him and then stealing his money. They realize that this is a great way to make money by killing people and stealing their money, so they do that for most of the movie and then the title character raul they end up killing cooking and then serving him right they have a restaurant at the end of the movie so yeah. uh-huh. i do some spoilers especially if the movie is you know it's 1981 you had 35 years to watch yeah it, you should have watched you know, it by now it's... and if
1: you haven't watched it you should go back and watch it anyway yeah. it has what paul bartell and mm-hmm. mary warrenoff and I, I love me some mary warrenoff she's great
0: anyway Um, there is also a movie that I had never heard of before uh, until I was researching this called Microwave Massacre ooh I love the title I've heard of it but I have never seen it it's uh, dreadful Um, (laughs) but (laughs) it does have this hilarious scene at the very beginning there's like this you know if you're at a construction site and they have like those cutouts where you can like look in Mm -hmm. and there's this big titty woman and she like puts her titties in the hole for some like women do that all the time Uh, that happens all the time they love to do that Uh Um, and one of the construction workers Like, sees it and he's like, I have to go to the uh, restroom. And I thought that was the funniest thing ever worthwhile in that. Yeah. Anyway, in this movie, um, he hates his wife's cooking, so he kills her and eats her. And then he starts cooking. He's providing food for all the people on the construction site by cooking people and and serving them. It's a hard job. uh You know, they get hungry out there. Yeah, absolutely. Physical labor. You know, you need a good meal. Yeah. Italian gore master Lucio Fulci had a modest hit with Touch of Death in 1988, but to be honest, like, it, it kind of seemed like cannibal movies had pretty much, like, hum about as far as they could go. Right. Until cannibalism went somewhere where no one expected. It went highbrow. Lovely. Do you see what I did there? I did. That's very Lovely. Nineteen ninety one packed a wallet for cannibalism, and not just in theaters. In fact, there were three movies that came out in nineteen ninety one of where cannibalism was a was a very big theme. The first is Delicatessen. So Delicatessen was a French film. It's kind of a post apocalyptic indie movie from Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Marc Caro, who had done City of Lost Children. Yep. Was a, you're a big fan of Amelie? good movie. Which it was one that. of them. Um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet or Marc Caro. Jean-Pierre Jeunet Jean-Pierre Jeunet. we're French yeah Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Jeunet and he also
1: did uh, Alien Resurrection which I'm not a big fan
0: of but yeah I love Amelie. It's a great movie yeah the plot of the movie is there's been some type of nuclear disaster that's killed most of the vegetation and now food is a currency and the film kind of centers around the tenants of an apartment building over top of a butcher shop and the butcher shop has taken to offing wandering handymen and serving them to the townspeople as food that's Delicatessen Obviously in 91, the the kind of biggest cannibal movie of all time, Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs, and that was Hannibal Lecter. The interesting thing is that when we're kind of talking about the highbrow nature of this is that audiences loved Hannibal Lecter. Like, he wasn't, you know, usually we look at kind of like the, the you know, the leather faces and as being the, the enemy and people loved Hannibal Lecter. When he got away at the end, people loved that. They thought that was amazing, you know? Right. Because he wasn't, I mean, he was sophisticated and he was educated and he was, you know, almost regal. In fact, AFI named Hannibal Lecter, their number one movie villain of all time. Huh. And I think they did it because he's just so damn likable. He is very, um, very nice character. I did a bunch of research. I didn't find any other Oscar winners that were cannibals. Anthony Hopkins was the only Oscar winner, although Charlton Heston won an Oscar for Ben-Hur, and he drank Soylent Green, which is people. It is people. Silent Green is people! And Silence of the Lambs is one of the only three films that has won Oscars Big Five, meaning that it won Best Actor, Actress, Director, Picture, and Screenplay. Do you know what the other two are? No. It happened one night Okay, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So only three films. It was also a huge financial success, which I knew, but what I didn't know is that it didn't have a very strong opening. It was kind of just a run-of-the-mill thriller, you know, based on a a relatively popular book, but it was word of mouth that that did it so well. So, you know, people saw it, they told back in the days when there was no internet. People told friends and everyone to go see it. And it actually ended up being the fourth highest grossing film of nineteen ninety one, only behind Beauty and the Beast, Robin Hood, the number one film of the year, do you remember? Ninety
1: one. Oh, Terminator Two? You're good.
0: Yeah. I got I got my moments. So <laughs> Silence of the Lambs was technically a sequel to 1980s Manhunter. Right. Um, but it was silence that spawned two more prequels, a sequel and a TV series, and obviously has the two best, arguably the two best quotes of any cannibal movie. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And I do wish we could chat longer, but oh yeah, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Nice. So Silence of the Lambs is also based on Ed Gain, of which we talked about in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but in a much different way. So when they went into Ed Gain's house, a few of the things that they found were a corset made from, this is directly from the internet, a corset made from a female torso skin, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin from female heads, and a belt made of nipples. The belt made of nipples is not in anything. I just threw that in because it's gross. But, um, But, you know, in the movie Silence of the Lambs, the whole thing is about Buffalo Bill making a suit out of women's skin because he was rejected from female reassignment. Surgery. Yeah. So that is a direct lift from Ed Gaines. Like that would not, the movie Silence of the Limbs would not exist if it weren't for Ed Gaines. Do you know what the third 1991 cannibal film was? The Cook, the Thief, His Wife and Her Lover? 89. The third one is a comedy. It's kind of a dramedy about southern ladies called Fried Green oh, Tomatoes. Oh, a heartwarming film. Huh? which I must have watched a thousand times because of course I grew up in a house full of Southern ladies and and this was our, you know, (laughs) right. Who also ate human beings. Fried green tomatoes is, uh, you know, the probably the most unusual of the three because it's based around a little restaurant in Georgia in between the two world wars. Uh, And it's a middle-aged Southern woman, light-hearted film. I'm not going to tell you what happens in the end because it's such a good movie, but I will say the tagline of the movie is The Secrets in the Sauce. So all three of these films dealt with cannibalism in in much different ways. One of the films was more about survival, sadism, and then of course the laugh out loud comedy. But one more thing happened in 1999. On July 22nd, 1991, a man named Tracy Edwards flagged down the police in Milwaukee, and he had said that he had been handcuffed by a maniac. The cops went to this place, and do you know who was there? Oh, of course I do. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. yeah. So Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested in 1991, the same year that all three of those films came out. So big year for cannibalism. Definitely. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about the Endos, the Exos, and the Psychos. Yep. But we still have the survival cannibals to go. Okay. Survival cannibal films usually tend to treat cannibalism a little bit more delicately. The first one, which I saw in the theater, was 1993's Alive.
1: saw that too. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, stars Ethan Hawke Vincent Spano and Josh Hamilton. I just love to say that because it's such a nine those are such 90s actors yeah okay, okay. it's the true story of the Uruguayan rugby team their're playing crashed in the Andes mountains yeah they thought that they were all dead they gave up the the search for them within days and they ended up staying on them on the mountain for like I don't know like two and a half months I think until one until a couple of them eventually got out they got help and they rescued them now, right. while they were there they had no food eventually they ended up having to eat some of the some of the dead I actually I watched Alive recently it's a it's a great film. No, it's it good. It really, really is. Really good. I mean, it's, I heard the book was excellent, too. I, mean, I read it when I was in high school. It It is a little... It is a little heavy-handed. It's actually funny because when I was, like, going through and looking at the posters for research for the film, the initial posters were, you know, the triumph of the human spirit. They really tried to downplay the cannibal, you know, nature of it. Just and I feel be, like
1: in the film, they did it, too, saying as ultr- last resort, which, I mean, it was, but yeah, I, mean, I right. feel like they... Even filming that, they were... Triumph of the Human Spirit. Right. uh, Sort of just a a matter of fact thing that happened. Except you know the public was like, "Cannibal! Oh, this is a cannibal." It was a cannibal movie. Yeah, I mean that's that's
0: why you went to go see it. You know, I mean you didn't go to see the Triumph of the Human Spirit. Who cares? But they really did. Push. It, that. it was very tastefully done. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but it's funny because then when I looked at the um, at the home video, you know, it didn't really do but so well at the box office. I sure. think. Sure. And then the home video, you know, they had changed all the taglines, and I think it was to survive the unlivable they had to do the unthinkable you know they really dialed it up for the vhs release you know making sure that you know people knew exactly what they were looking at and it wasn't a triumph of the human spirit was how they were you know selling vhs tapes but
1: when it was in theaters were they trying to push this as oscar bait and maybe that's why oh i think so yeah and those mean, movies well do have for your consideration at the bottom. Of exactly. It, I I
0: was... Yeah. Oh no. I mean, it was narrated by John Malkovich. I mean, sure. they pulled out all the stops for this. And some one. video they
1: were trying to get anybody. And
0: they're like, hey, they have to eat people. So watch yeah, they were movie. like, it didn't win any Oscars, so no, let's just—it's there. People were eating people. Right. So another kind—I uh, <laughs> said kinder, but he was also meaner. Um, survivalist cannibal was Alexander Pierce in 1822. He was a real character uh, or a real person. He escaped jail with a whole bunch of other people who he killed and ate. Dick move. And then there was also another true story which is of Alfred G. Packer and he ate the bodies of five of his travel companions while crossing through the Colorado Mountains. Uh, That was in 1874. Those two combined stories begat 1980s Legend of Alfred Packer film, Cannibal the Musical in 1993, oh, right. Ravenous 1999, The Last Confession of Alexander Pierce and Dying Breed, both in 2008, and Van Diemen's Land in 2009. They've also made movies about the uh, Donner Party as well. They're usually called the Donner Party. Right. And that pretty much brings us up to date. I'm gonna just kind of riff a couple of cannibal like series just to bring sure. us up to date. Um, the Wrong Turn film franchise. Yeah. there's six of those films. Did you know that? No, I, I lost count of three. And I didn't six of, of them. I actually, the yeah. When I was researching, I saw the first one and I remember being like, okay, that happened. Right. Um, but I heard that two Wrong Turn two, which is next in my DVD uh, and uh, my, oh my, yeah, <laughs> my Netflix, is really good. So. Um, oh, I we'll have to watch. Also, Texas Chainsaw had a million remakes, um, sequels, prequels, everything. Yeah, they
1: they really bled that one dry. No pun intended.
0: I owned the one with Jessica Biel in 2003. I actually thought it was pretty good. Also, and this is just a plug for something that I loved. I read the Cormac uh, McCarthy book, The Road. Oh yeah. And had a had a very good film. It's Pulitzer Prize winning cannibalism. Pulitzer Prize winning uh, book, Um, and they uh, made the movie with Viggo Mortensen in 2009. And Oprah Book Club cannibalism book mm. it was so in that movie the world is kind of covered in ash you never really find out like how the world's ended pretty right. much everybody's dead and the food supply is very short right. so a lot of people not the title character are are eating people and there's actually the cannibal scene in it is terrifying when they go down into the basement
1: oh yeah and the people on the match and they've already had oh, this still alive. They, yeah they're, they're keeping people
0: alive oh, it's, it's disgusting. pretty gross and then i actually watched this film we are what we are it's a 2013 remake of a mexican film about two young sisters who are keeping the family rituals in order that's awesome okay yeah, yeah and then green inferno comes out in uh, in two weeks yes it does postscript i saw green inferno last night first showing it was really fun i don't think that eli Roth brought anything new to the table nothing that you haven't seen in the cannibal genre already it was more of an homage or a pastiche. There were definitely some lifted scenes and lifted scenarios from some of the other late 70s, early 80s cannibal films, but it was gross, it was vile. Uh, there's a gr- the opening cannibal scene, the one where the first person gets eaten is really upsetting and disgusting, which I thoroughly enjoyed a little unsatisfying uh, on the ending, but otherwise definitely worth a watch. And I'm glad Eli Roth made this film because really only he could. Okay, back to the show. All right,
1: that's it. History of cannibalism in film. <sighs> that's a, an amazing history. It's some things I didn't know about uh, cannibalism in film. Um, and it's interesting how it's a, even though it's uh, kind of a reviled genre overall, I mean, people, oh, cannibal, holocaust, trash, whatever, but you know, it's dress it up, Put Anthony Hopkins in it, and it becomes Oscar bait. You know, it's amazing.
0: Uh, Did I miss anything?
1: I don't think so. I think Mm -hmm. the only thing I mentioned it, and I don't know if you necessarily missed it, but you know, even art house films, which didn't really talk about cannibalistic people so much, as the Cook the Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, where the cannibalism aspect is used as revenge. I think that movie touched more, well, it touched on a lot of things. You can have a whole podcast on that, but um, more of, you know, that character was more of a, he was a, cons- he consumed. Mm-hmm. He consumed her life, he consumed everything around him, and to the point where she made him consume, She consumed the love of her life by killing him, and now she, she made him eat him. I pulled
0: a sound clip from it. You vowed you would kill him, and you did, and you vowed you would eat him.
1: I think this is a pretty solid look at cannibalism and I hope that the listeners at home or on the treadmill or wherever they're at today got you know their fill their fill mm-hmm. of Have to see what you did people
0: there. eating people yeah all right well hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week with another lowbrow film lesson
1: thanks for listening to slums of film history you can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today as well as Bad Movie Monday, our recommendation for the worst of the worst films every Monday
0: night. Please, please, please fact check us. And if we left something out or got something wrong, let us know in the comments section of each week's topic. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.